Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock here, your co-host, as always, alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. ER, answering your questions today. It's Thursday, Matt. This week has gone pretty fast, I think, so far. And just to let everybody know, we are recording this pre-opt-out deadline. So Friday, we will hit the opt-outs hard and really cover all of those and we will know for sure everybody who is at this point in the season opting out after that deadline of four o'clock eastern thursday yeah and we have about an hour hopefully no names come in but between when we're recording this and when the deadline is so far i think there's been over 60 names so we will hit that tomorrow but just wanted to recognize that you know we're on top of it but there might be a big name between now and um, you know, when you're, when you're listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of Twitter questions to get to here. So if we don't hit them all and I always appreciate everybody hitting us at BD Peacock and at Williamson NFL on Twitter on these Twitter Thursdays, if we don't get them all, maybe we'll have some overflow questions that we will try to hit on Friday's show as Sounds well good. with all the latest and everything going on to end the week in the national football league. But today I want to focus as much as we can on your questions. So Let's get into those and start with A.A. Ron, who says, for games, could there be a COVID booth for a head coach or a coordinator who tests positive? That way they could be isolated, be be at the game, indirectly coaching and calling plays if they're asymptomatic and not feeling sick, of course. Um, my, I'm curious what you think about this, but my hunch is, you're there's no booth. You're not going to come anywhere close to the stadium if you have if you've been positive. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the owner, the head coach, the starting quarterback, whatever. Like you're not invited. You're home. You I think that's it. You weren't yeah. even allowed to travel between home and the stadium. You know you right. can't. You're you're sequestered in in your house. That is the rules. You're you're not going anywhere to get anybody else sick. So uh, no, definitely not allowed yeah. at the stadium. That's a that's a big no no. And I'm sure some coaches would love to do that, but. We're seeing it with Doug Peterson right now. He's at home, and he's going to stay home until he's able to come back and, and everything's testing negative for him, and then he can uh, be around the facility and around the team because you're making contact with people no matter what. So they're, they're not even going to allow right. that to happen. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that you'll have some sort of plan in place. Hey, if I come down with it, you're next man up. And if he happens to go down with it, you're next guy up. You know, like do Staley's filling in for Peterson right now. So, yeah, if there's a head count. Vice president. Yeah, if there's a head coach or a coordinator out during the season, of course they can be involved with game planning, and I'm sure they'll have film that's sent home, and and they'll be able to watch some Mm -hmm. stuff and watch practices and be part of game planning. But as it happens on game day, there's I just don't see a way that they're going to be involved in play calling at all. You know, halftime I'm sure there'll be a you know if you're a head coach, you're going to be heavily involved. So at halftime you're calling somebody and yelling at somebody, hey, we got to do this, we got to do this, and I'm sure there'll be some adjustments and there'll be on the horn at least, or, you know, via teleconference at some point, but yeah, play calling duties will have to be somebody else. And I think every team's going to have to have that protocol in place and, and be ready for a secondary play caller, both offense and defense side of the ball in case something like that happens. And it could be day of. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, I'm spitballing as I'm thinking about this, you have a quality control guy, on a Zoom call with the head coach who's at home on his lazy boy. But that poor dude, I mean, (laughs) 
someone's going to be Belichick's going to be barking in his ear and he's not going to be able to get it down the sidelines in time. And why did you do what I told you? You know, like it's a no win situation. Yeah. And most coaches are control freaks too. So that will be difficult for them. So how involved will they be? Will there just be a line that's constantly open so they can talk to somebody who can relay some stuff in and you're going to have that little delay on TV. So you're not going to be able to real time right. say like call time out here or something when there's something happening on the clock or be like here's the play call here because you, you don't have enough time to have that that train of a conversation and that idea go from what the the coach that's at home is seeing to relay that all back before a play clock runs out and get that play in in time i mean it, it, maybe you could be like boy, their play-action game's really killing us, or on third and eight, they seem to be doing this, you know, uh, general yes. thoughts yep. of how they're attacking us that we didn't see coming during the week. That not, hey, call timeout right here, because that's never going to happen. Right, right. I see more, and it's too hectic. I see more of a, you know, maybe if you're an offensive coach, okay, while the defense is out, is out on the field, maybe you can have a call with somebody and relay some information, or most likely halftime adjustments, but... Uh, beyond that, I just don't see how it's going to be possible. You're going to have to be at home, and they're going to have to be just watching the game like everybody else for the most part, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. JDS has a question. We've gotten this one before about PFF and if it's valuable tool, and uh, JDS asks, what is DVOA? How valuable is it, and how is it different than what Pro Football Focus does? And uh, I, I think both of us recommended that fans get smarter. So read whatever you can. Read a book about football. If, if it's X's and O's you want to get into, if it's analytics, there's a lot of places out there that do a lot of great stuff. Warren Sharp just put out an awesome Bible, basically, for the 2020 season. I would recommend that. I recommend Pro Football Focus. I recommend the Football Outsiders, which is where the DVOA comes from. And the short answer about how it's different, DVOA stands for uh, defensive adju- defense adjusted value over average. So essentially to simplify what they're doing and you can go to football outsiders and it's super valuable. Uh, ESPN's got a bunch of advanced stats and, and NFL.com has some as well. Everyone kind of has their own niche and how they do things and how they break it down statistically. Um, like PFF gives you wins and pressures and uh, ESPN has a pass rush productivity that does things a little bit differently. Um, and they're all kind of looking at the same thing, but DVOA the value over average. So uh, the way they explain it on the website, essentially, let's say there's a, a run, two different running backs run for three yards. In the box score, that's the same. It's a three-yard run. It looks like they did the same thing. But one of those could be third and two. You got yourself a first down against the best defense in the league. The other could be you gain three yards on third and 15 against the worst defense in the league. Every play, maybe yardage-wise, might look the same. The box score is not equal. So DVOA is telling you what that play did versus average, essentially. If you're plus 10, that means it's 10% better than what the average player did against the same defense type of thing. So that that's to, to oversimplify it, that's what DVOA is. Yeah, it's a very good explanation with how I'm familiar with it. How they come up with their final numbers as well as pro football focuses is above my pay grade, above my creative writing degree from Pitch on sound to figure out. <laughs> I have no clue. But DVOA has been around a lot longer than pro football focus. I mean, football outsider has been around a long time and that's their signature stat. Um, I trust it a great deal. And especially for team defense, team offense and a really good example. I don't have it in front of me, but like most people looked at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense last year and thought, wow, it's a bad group. I think they were 29th in scoring allowed. But they were fifth in DVOA because 
they were always Jameis Winston turns it over on the 20 yard line and someone kicks a field goal, you know, well, there's three points, even though you held them out of the end zone, you know, like, right. So DVOA to me is a very, very good metric of let's rank the top 32 offenses. Let's rank the 32 defenses. Uh, it's a go-to for me. And pro football focus is very different in that they look at every single play that happens on a field from every single player. I mean, that's their tagline, every player, every game, every player, every play, every game or something like that. Yeah, right. Uh, and there's an army of people, and I've been involved in this, and I charted routes for a year, and I did some other things at, at Pro Football Focus as an analyst for a short time. And there's an army of people involved, so much information, but they, they grade every play. So there might be a play where a wide receiver gets wide open, and he beats a cornerback, and he did everything he could possibly do. Quarterback misses him. You don't see any of that show up in the box score, but that's a positive play. Like He got open. He did his part of, of the job so it's those types of things and I really like it for defensive linemen offensive linemen because pressures equal production if you're just looking at sack numbers you might think someone like Jadavian Clowney with three sacks wasn't productive but he was super productive uh, and, and took over some games at times and so you're, you're looking at a lot of different things that maybe don't show up in the box score and again very different but it it, it adds context to what you're looking at and, and for me it's a cross-reference so I watch a game I see a player I was like right. this guy's amazing let's go see what's going on and PFF is like yeah he grades really high and specifically he does lines up here and does these things great and you look at the DVOA and he's like okay this player is doing exactly what I'm seeing you're cross-referencing it and you're putting all of these things to use and you don't have to rely just on one or the other and go with that and that alone. Use your eyes, trust yourself, and then um, use context with some of these other stats and some of these analytics. And there's uh, a number of them that are recommendable. And yeah, make yourself a smarter fan. I love it. Yeah. And I don't think any of them are gospel, but I think all of them, the ones at least that we've mentioned are all very valuable tools, yes. you know, even like, Josh Hermsmeyer does air yards. That's great. You know, like it's a great tool and I've used it for some other thing. I mean, so there's a lot of information out there. I recommend digging into all of it. I love it. All right. More Twitter Thursday coming up. Locked on NFL. But first, I'd like to let the folks know about DoorDash. One of the industries that's being hit really hard right now during this pandemic is the restaurant biz. And it's something that's very close to my heart. I've worked in the restaurant business for uh, many years as, and some of that as a delivery driver, in fact, bartender, uh, you name it, I've done just about every job there is to do at bars and restaurants, and it's rough to not be able to go out to bars and restaurants. So you can continue to support restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is super easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and food will be left safely on your doorstep. New contactless delivery drop-off setting as well on the DoorDash app. Over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. The best part is right now our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDON. Again, that's code LOCKEDON. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app. Don't forget, that's code locked on for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Here's one from Dave. I think we answered Dave's question earlier in the week, and it ended up being a whole episode for us. So uh, great questions coming from Dave. Appreciate it. 
He says, how far down your power rankings would the Pats and Jets fall after all the opt-outs and the Jamal Adams trade? Mm, Good question, because I remember I did a power rank right after Cam Newton got signed. And I think I had the Pats like six or seven. There's, There's a top four for me in any order you want to put them, the Saints, the Niners, the Ravens, and Chiefs. And then I'm always looking for number five. And I remember being torn between Dallas and Philly for five. And I think I had the Patriots right after those guys. And to be honest, that was probably a cam overreaction. And we even talked about it on the podcast that there was seven teams in that neighborhood. And maybe the Patriots should be last of those seven or first. I had the first of those seven. And I kind of regret it, to be honest with you. I I think they're in for a long year. And especially after these you know, losses over the last couple of weeks, they've lost so much of their front seven and so many linebackers and Chung can be a pseudo linebacker, not to mention Van Noy and Jamie Collins and Hightower. And the, these teams, the Patriots, the Giants, and somebody else lost a starting offensive tackle. Like you're not going to find it, find one of those on the street. You know, I mean, best of luck with that. And so I I would never bet against Belichick, but I would probably have the Patriots 15-ish now as a middle-of-the-road team. I just think it's going to be hard to win these tight, low-scoring games. Um, The Jets didn't change a whole heck of a lot. I mean, they lost Jamal Adams. They lost C.J. Mosley. It was an underrated defense to begin with. was really good against the run last year, but I didn't ever see them as a contender. I mean, maybe I'd drop them a couple spots. Yeah, you had... New England jumping from 21st to 7th. They've missed some pieces. I don't think they've missed so many pieces. I mean, you start talking about 8 to 10 guys. I think it's they're, they're still at 8 right now for opt-outs. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big chunk of your football team, and, and a lot of those players were starters, so it's not nothing. Is it going to ruin their season? I don't know. It's hard for me to say where the, the Patriots are going to be right now. I kind of need to see a game from them because I want to see where their defense is. I think their defense had a chance to be to regress a little from last year because of the strength of schedule they played and some really bad offense that really skewed the numbers, especially earlier in the season, and obviously see what they're looking like at the quarterback position. So, um, I mean, it's just hard to say. You, the teams that you had below New England in your power rankings, it was Tennessee, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Buffalo, Indianapolis, uh, Chargers, Rams, Minnesota, Green Bay. I mean, all of those teams I could see being better than New England, but I could see New England staying on top of all of them as well. So that's a group where um, you could drop from top 10 down closer to 20 really quickly. Yeah, and certainly the five or six names you named right after them, you know, eight through 11 or 12, I would put ahead of them. You know, certainly Tampa and the Steelers and the Colts and Tennessee. I think all of those guys go over the, the Pats right now. The Patriots roster is bottom six or seven in the league. I mean, it's not a good roster. The New York Jets slowly becoming one of the worst rosters in the league again. They they lost their best player, right. period. They were at 27 before. They'd stay around there. Yeah, I mean, late 20s, there's there's some bad teams behind them. Are they going to be, are they going to fall behind Cincinnati with a rookie quarterback? Are they going to fall behind the New York Giants? I could see them falling back uh, behind the team in New York. Then you've got Washington, Miami, Carolina, Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, they easily could lose that division. Right. Jets look like a 6-10 and 10 team to me. I like Sam Darnold. <laughs> Poor Sam. Mm-hmm. Poor Sam's just getting ruined over there. Getting rough. You know, it's it's funny. Both of those teams, ironically, there's going to be a lot of sweeping opinions and generalizations 
about what's going on there. Sam Darnold, if they're bad again, Sam Darnold's going to be a ruined quarterback, bad quarterback. Jets have to go draft a quarterback and, and change that. And then all of a sudden, now Darnold's done and he's ruined, even though he's 22 years old still, 23 or however young he is. He's still a very young guy. And so he's done. He's the worst quarterback ever. And, right. and they got to redo things. And then the same in when you watch what happens with Tampa, watch what happens with New England. If New England's bad, it was all Brady all along. Brady's amazing. Belichick's overrated. Yeah, Belichick's overrated. They're a bad team now. They stink. If the Patriots are good, it's like, oh, Brady was just a pretty good quarterback. Bill made him play up. It was all Bill all along. So there's going to be some things with, uh, and you can kind of see that coming. So just throwing that out there for you fans that are watching the Patriots, watching the Jets. There's a lot more context. Like we're talking about with those advanced statistics. Context. It's context, folks. Yeah, and you know, and then we'll be talking about boy, the Jets have all these first round picks and all this cap space. They're going to be the worst the first next year, you know. Or and Belichick has tons of cap space. Would you look out for the Patriots in two thousand twenty one? You know, I mean, the narratives could change like roller coasters with these teams. One other note, which is probably more of a tomorrow show thing: these teams with all the opt outs, especially these two, all of a sudden created a ton of cap space. So. Could this be clowny landing spots? I mean, I definitely yeah. think a lot of veterans that are uh, unsigned right now are going to benefit. I could see both these teams calling clowny. Yeah, when you're talking about a one-year deal, replace some of that lost salary, especially with mm-hmm. how much salary was lost in New England there. They could fit a clowny in there with uh, just a couple of those. Like uh, Hightower. Hightower wasn't cheap. He wasn't at the top of the linebacker market, but you know he wasn't cheap. They could... Cannon makes money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah there's... They're opening up some spots, some 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 you know, some, air, some cap room for sure. Mosley made it done, especially since Clowney's getting no love at all. Every single team right. you see, hey, maybe they're a fit for Clowney. Then the next day, it's like, nope, they're not interested yeah. in Clowney. <laughs> I think the Jets have already gone through that once this offseason. Now the latest mm-hmm. is Seattle. That's kind of the team everyone expected them still to go to, even after the Jamal Adams trade. And and now they're looking at Everson Griffin, and they're looking at uh, who was it? Somebody else on the defensive line and, and not clowny. So, right. And maybe he just wants too much. Who knows? But these teams aren't done yet is where I was going with that. And we'll probably talk more about that tomorrow, but there's 20 to 30 brand name guys out there. Not the clownies level that are unemployed. That'll be scooped up now. And now teams know, okay, and no one else is often out. I know what I have. I've been in camp to some degree for a, a, a week here. And I, all of a sudden I just got 10 million cap space. I'm going to call that guy. We've gotten this question multiple times over the weeks, and, and we kind of have not really ever addressed it. But I like the question, and I have two obvious answers here. Um, basically, the question is from multiple tweeters out there. So thank you for the questions, guys. Which team benefits or is hurt the most by not having fans in the seats? And there was another tweet from Joshua here talking about soccer, European soccer leagues, and... There was a New York Times article looking at how home field advantage has completely changed without fans in the seats for soccer. And I would assume it's as big or bigger for football. It's a great question. Um, some of the hardest places to play to me are weather related, you know, like Miami in week one. Um Denver to me is one of the hardest places to play because of the altitude, especially early in the year. So those will, I think will still hold up like the Broncos record in the first two weeks of the season over the last 20 years or something is ridiculous. They win like eight out of 10. And I don't think that's an accident, but the immediate thoughts to me are the dome teams in general. And I think the domes are going to be eerie, yeah. but especially the saints because they are, 
a ravenous crew and more so than Atlanta. Sorry. Some of these other domes and Seattle really comes to mind for me. Yeah. Those, those were two of them. Two of the big three for me are Seattle, new Orleans and Kansas city. Yes, definitely Kansas city. Right. Yeah, so, and there, there's all, and especially with, I think it's the, the Seattle Seahawks and the Kansas city chiefs. Those are the teams that people always accuse them of pumping more crowd noise back through the PA as well to go with it, to actually give you a little bit extra. If they do that now, that would stand out quite a bit. And you'd be like, okay, I see what you guys have been doing over here. All of a sudden here. it gets really loud and there's nobody in the seats. So uh, those teams I think will be hurt most by it. Who will be helped most by it? I'm not really sure. Maybe some teams that are, that are pretty good that, uh, that never had much of a home field advantage. It'll just even it out more rather than really help them. I, I don't see it helping anybody, but it, those three franchises obviously would be hurt the most by it because they wouldn't have that clear advantage. Two last thoughts on that are, you know, a lot of people are picking the Chiefs to repeat, and I understand that they're a great team. But let's say the Chiefs go 15-1, and one, and remember this year only one team gets a bye. They get their bye, and, oh, man, we got to go to Kansas City. That sounds horrible. Except there's no one in the seats. That doesn't sound so bad. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, that's what you get for your, you know, that's the the, the big prize you get for going 15-1. and one. Yeah, you get the week off, but people coming here don't really care anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's not that big of an advantage. And last thing too is we interviewed Cam Hayward a month or so ago asking about not playing in front of fans. And he said the smart defenses are going to learn a lot. You know, like Keekley or Ray Lewis playing it's almost like playing in the backyard with your buddies. You're going to learn the offensive calls. You're going to hear everything yep. they say. You know, like the ability to hear what the offense is doing is really going to pay off for some of these defenses. Jimmy Garoppolo was interviewed this week as well at 49ers camp, and he said the same thing. He's like, it's going to be nice. I don't have to go to this silent count anymore in some of those hostile environments on the road. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, maybe you have to go all silent because you don't want to have any verbal communication because it'll be easier to pick that up, too. Right. I mean, maybe you become like a third base coach and you touch your nose in your ear yeah. and you scratch your groin and one of them's the indicator, you know? Everybody's going to be knowing what everyone's talking about and everyone's doing it. My favorite, even with baseball, I, the fake sound, I don't, I'm not into it. I love hearing the natural no. crack of the bat and hearing it echo throughout the stadium and, and, and hearing the sounds of the actual game. I have no problem with that. And, and I have a feeling it's going to be the same with the NFL. They're going to have to bleep a lot of stuff out in the NFL, though, if you have too much field sound. But I don't need any fake sound. Let me hear the game. This is a unique experience for one season. Let's hear the game, and we'll have fans in the seats next year, hopefully. Yeah, I've watched all the Penguin games. They just lost again last night, boo pens. And they (laughs) fool me. Like, when somebody scores, you get this crowd noise. Ah! You know, I'm like, and I forget that there's nobody in the stands. But then I've been watching hoops. And somebody swears, and all of a sudden you get like three seconds of, of you know, of, of silence. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they should, yeah. <laughs> the, sometimes you forget until they zoom out, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. There was no fans in the season. There's nobody there, right. I, I kind of like the NBA vibe, though, of watching them. Mm-hmm. Well, we got some good questions here. Gardner Minshew, some of the best playmakers of all time, non-quarterback skill players, of all time, most dangerous. Uh, I'm interested to hear uh, some of your candidates Mm. there and some of your thoughts on that question. The exciting finale of Twitter Thursday coming up. Let's go to this one from our friend GoPats, a frequent tweeter into the show. He says, Matt, Brian, who's the most dangerous non-quarterback skill player of all time? Dangerous means, he says, that can shift momentum outcome of a game in a single play. He throws out some candidates here. 
Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Gronk, Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, Marshall Falk, Julio Jones. Those are some of the candidates that Go Pats throws out. I saw this tweet, but I didn't see the candidates, and I thought I was going to be pretty slick and say Gail Sayers. But he, <laughs> good work, Go Pats, of throwing that one out there. And obviously, he's an old time dude. But I think he had like six or seven touchdowns in one game. And it was a returner. Mm-hmm. He caught passes out of the backfield when no one threw to backs. Didn't last long, but was, you know, a, a total uh, comet. You know, I mean, a, a total a bright spot that burned bright. Uh, he, somebody like that would probably be my definition. Like, Jerry Rice is has no negatives, and that's an easy one. But I, game breaker wouldn't be my first definition for him. You know, maybe Moss in terms of, you know, Tyree Kill nowadays is probably the answer for current players. I think that's one of Barry Sanders' absolute biggest advantages is that not only was he great compared to all the other running backs of all time, but he could switch a game in a heartbeat too. I mean, there's so many of them. I, I can't go Gronk. Um yeah, there certainly are the the Randall Cunningham type quarterbacks too, or Michael Vick. You know, guys like that are they're just rare game changing ability. For Jerry Rice, young. The thing I will caution about Jerry Rice: everyone remembers part of the part of his problem is that you know young young fans didn't see him, and if they did see him, they saw old Jerry Rice, forty plus mm-hmm. year old Jerry Rice, who still had twelve hundred yards with the Raiders, or. God forbid his last year in Seattle, which is a bad memory seeing him in a Seattle Seahawks uniform at 42 years old. <laughs> Young Jerry Rice, go back and watch pre-ACL Jerry Rice. Anytime late 80s into the early 90s, he was a game breaker. He would take slants to the house all the time. So there was consistency. Yeah. He was fast. He was legitimately fast. I know there's a myth about a bad 40 time or whatever, but I think Gil Brandt busted that myth and said he had him four fours on his own watch or, you know, or at least four or five or something like that. And there's this myth that he ran a four or seven. And then he's the guy that everybody brings up. Oh, bad 40 time doesn't mean you're not a great player. Jerry Rice was fast. Like, he, he did not get yeah. caught. He didn't he, get caught from behind. Yeah. He got, he took slants to the house with regularity. So he was kind of a game breaker. Probably doesn't get enough credit there, but yeah, I think it's Randy Moss and it's, it's Barry Sanders. And in, in my, in my day, and I didn't get a chance to see Gail series and he was absolutely the game breaker of his time. But Randy Moss, I mean, that's where, he shined because he was always open. Yeah. And Moss and Sanders, the defense can be right and still be wrong. Yep. You know, last one I wanted to mention who obviously went about it in a way different manner is primetime. You know, yes. I, I screwed up and this ball's a little bit outside of where it should be. Boom. That's six the other way. Or I'm going to punt to this guy. Boom. The yeah. Game he was, changes. He was the best punt returner in the game. He had. Yeah. One season, he had 300 interception return yards. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Let's Crazy. go to T-Bell. He says, why does Gardner Minshew not get enough recognition as Kyler Murray does? Arguably, Minshew played better and could have won Rookie of the Year. So many people have Jags ideally looking at a top three pick to grab a quarterback. I know he's 24, but Jags should build around him. Minshew produced similar numbers to Kyler in two fewer games. By the way, Minshew was on the reserve COVID-19 list this week as well that I don't think we mentioned, but uh, what are your thoughts there? It's a good question. It is because I would obviously rather have Kyler Murray. I think everybody would rather have Kyler Murray, but I also will concede Minshew had the best rookie year of any quarterback to me last year, and I didn't think so when it happened, but I went back and watched Minshew after the season, 
and was very impressed. But, you know, you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt if you're not a high pedigree guy coming in the league. And some of that is justified because he doesn't have gobs of ability. You know, I mean, Kyler's way more gifted. Minshew's never going to be a above average passer in terms of people hanging off him and making throws that others can't. Um, but I was impressed and I'm open to the idea that maybe he can be a 10 year starter and you can win games with him, and he's only going to get better. And I like his mental makeup. I mean, so if the Jags are picking third overall, does that mean they should definitely take a quarterback? Maybe not. Maybe you take that crazy left tackle that's at Oregon right now and go with Minshew. You know what I mean? So I'm listening. Or if Chase Young came out, you take Young. You know what I mean? Okay. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm open to that. I think it's a good point that Minshew probably isn't getting enough credit for the season he had as a rookie, but there's a lot of projection involved here too. And I've been guilty uh-huh. of not really giving Minshew enough credit, but he was a fifth-year senior coming out of college versus Kyler Murray, who had that one massive year of college football starting experience. Much younger player. You're projecting, uh, the, you know, the term when um, we're talking about wide receivers running by cornerbacks when they say if you, if he's even he's leaving you mm-hmm. know what I mean like for for speedy guys I think that's what we're talking about with Minshew and Kyler Murray okay it's close well if it's close you have to project out that Kyler Murray is going to get much better with all the tools he has oh, so yeah. if it's even he's leaving that's kind of the the theory I would have why everyone's talking about Kyler Murray and what he could be and obviously his draft pedigree plays into that Gardner Minshew just doesn't have that ceiling that Kyler Murray does. That doesn't mean Murray's going to reach that ceiling, but it's just a projection at this point. And Minshew still has to get better to be someone who's even considered a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL for the Jaguars. So there's work to do in both places. Just It's, it's all projection with Kyler Murray, and you, you can't not be excited about his talent level. Right. And my last note there is I believe that now Minshew will be at worst a 10-year backup that's one of the best backups in the league. At worst. But... 15 months ago, Kyler Murray was a professional baseball player. I mean, like, he hasn't been a full-time football player very long. You know, this is, we don't really have time to get into this much, but think about this idea. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit tomorrow, what it would mean to not have a college football season because the college season is really the one that's in doubt to me of all the sports on the landscape right now that they... They're, they're not doing great over there. And it's not surprising with how the NCAA is run. And we've already got UConn that said, yeah, we're just not playing, period. And we've, we're seeing some college players opting out now as well. How much that would change? How much one year of football changes the landscape of the draft and who's good? What if there was no 2019 season? Joe Burrow wouldn't have been the it first pick. Be. Would he have been drafted, period? Like, that's how much different no, it can make. I mean, you can go right, from right, maybe undrafted free agent level maybe late rounder to number one overall pick. That's the difference one season can make. And for some prospects that are maybe uh, upper echelon guys that are being projected round one, okay, you it doesn't matter if you don't have a season. You're already on the radar. You've got some good tape out there. You can work out, put up good combine numbers. You'll still be a first-round player in the next draft. It's all the other guys that make up the bulk of the draft that don't get to put that extra tape out there. Um, there's numerous first-rounders this year that they had their best college season in 2019 that wouldn't have been first-round picks. Both of the 49ers' first-round picks wouldn't have been first-rounders based on 2018 tape. So uh, that can no. change a lot when it comes to the NFL draft. No, absolutely. Burrow's the best example I, I can think of. Right. Carson Wentz is like that. You know, I mean, those guys, maybe they'd have been a flyer in the sixth round mm-hmm. or something. 
kind of like something, but you haven't seen much. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And Kyler Murray definitely would have been one of those as well. Right. So, yeah, uh, let's get a little bit more into that. Tomorrow we'll be able to talk opt-outs as well. We'll know exactly who is opting out after Thursday's deadline. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved in this Twitter. Thursday, be back tomorrow right here, Locked on NFL.